tuned into CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio. And we have Brennan and Dave and Jody in studio today. And we will hear from Hank and Craig a little bit later. Lot on the menu. Uh, Brennan's going to talk about Flash, the Flashpoint, uh, the upcoming Flash movie a little bit later. I have a couple of uh, graphic novels for young readers that I will also get to. But first, we're going to kick things off with a couple of British game shows. That's a loose term, but it's something that Dave and I watch every year. It's sort of a part of our New Year's tradition. They have some really cool game shows over in Britain, and one of them is Big Fat Quiz. Yeah, this is the time of year where this stuff has aired in Britain about a week or two ago but it's starting to get posted on YouTube and other places where you can stream it and watch it. And yeah, we, we weren't in on this from the beginning, but uh, the big fat quiz, something that gets done once or twice a year as a special holiday thing. And we usually end up watching it in early January. Yeah, it's a long show. It's like an hour and a half. If you watched it with their commercials, it would be much longer. It is uh, the brainchild of Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr is a comedian. He has done over eight or nine DVDs of stand-up, and he kind of makes his name as like a talk show slash game show host. Yeah, he's a comedian that I think, he's, he's always funny, but I think he's funniest when he has other comedians to play off of. Yes. And that's why these shows are so good. So Big Fat Quiz started in 20, uh, 2004, and it's a trivia-type game show where there's three pairs, and they, have, they get asked questions about current events that happened that year, and they're funny, and they're always comedians, and they riff off each other, and there's a lot more talk than there is actual game show. Yeah, there's nobody on these shows as a contestant that's not famous. Right. right. They're all comedians, people that are, are maybe not so well known on this side of the pond, but are pretty big stars, I gather, uh, in the world of uh, comedic British television. Some of our favorite contestants over the years have been uh, Richard Iowadi, Noel Fielding, Aisling Bea, uh, David Mitchell, super funny. He's so fast on his feet. Uh, James Acaster, uh, Russell Brand, Royzen Connady, just like they, they mostly have British comedians, but sometimes they'll import somebody from the States or elsewhere. And those are always interesting because they're like, I don't know any of these news things because it's not covered in my country. That's kind of what I like about the show. It's a potential turnoff, but I sort of feel like a tourist when I'm watching it because these are super famous people who are not that famous to me. They're talking about current events trivia that is not our North American trivia. And, and there's a lot of swearing. <laughs> there is a lot of swearing. So I'm not used to hearing swearing on a game show. And some of the comedians that are contestants on this will kind of feed off each other and start working quite blue by hour two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can find most of these episodes over the years uh, on YouTube. Just search Big Fat Quiz. His other show that he hosts is called Eight Out of Ten Cats. And it's a panel show where they, you know, do surveys and then they they riff. It's it's mostly comedians riffing with like a very loose structure um, of game show around it. But what they do at this time of year is they do a crossover of Eight Out of Ten Cats does Countdown. And Countdown is a long running British game show where there's like 
language questions and math questions. Jimmy Carr takes it to a new level. Um, it has Susie Dent. She is the expert on language and Rachel Riley. She is the expert on math and two teams battle against each other. And there is actually some questions, but mostly it's just screwing around and it's really, really funny. Yeah, you could do the game show quiz part of that half hour show in about six minutes. So that means the other 20 plus minutes are just these comedians doing this ad-libbed interplay with each other. And I really believe it is ad-libbed too. You watch it and judge for yourself. You might find me naive here, but I feel like a lot of the funniest stuff is just spontaneous sparks flying between these six or seven funny comedians who are all working at the same time. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Well worth the investment of time. Um, another one that we'll just quickly mention that is also good is called Would I Lie to You? And oh, yeah. David Mitchell's been on this one a few times and he's the king. He is excellent at it. So those are three British game shows that you can find on YouTube that are great and especially fun to uh, wrap up the year and sort of see what happened. Yeah, the holidays may be behind us, but on this side of the Atlantic, it's it, it's still the season mm -hmm. uh, for this seasonal treat. Yeah, it's good. Okay, well, earlier than usual, we're gonna throw things over to Hank and Craig. And then when we come back, we're gonna talk comics and graphic novels. Hey everybody, it's Craig Silifan here on CFCR 90.5 FM on Punch Radio. And it's a new year and I'm here with a new me and a new you and a new Hank Cruz. How you doing, Hank? I'm feeling new. I'm feeling 22. Feeling new. 22. Well, not new. Well, I don't know. You know, you're looking good. Have I, you well, let the world you. have you let the world know what happened over I, the I don't think I have. This is the global premiere of the fact that I shaved my head over the holidays. So now I look like Bruce Willis climbing through the vents, killing terrorists. And I also have this weird Lex Luthor urge to kill Superman. I'm not sure what that's all about, but I'm hoping that'll sort of subside over time. I mean, you tell me your head's been shaved for a long time. You know, uh, I'm just uh, finally happy that uh, you finally went to the to the right side of things. OK, because uh, <laughs> it's it's freeing. It's uh, it's great. And everybody wants to be like me, but nobody really wanted to, like, go through with it. Right. So now that we share the same haircut, I'm thinking we uh, we both look pretty good. Good, good. Well, we'll go out on the town and uh, leave our wives at home and uh, see if we can pick up any ladies i guess i don't know that probably won't work I don't know. Uh, so when, when the light hits the top of us um it blinds everybody so i don't know i don't know what happens but that could work in my favor then they can't yeah. see how ugly i am we masks have been very helpful this uh <laughs> the last year or so but uh, obviously we just had some big holidays and we saw lots of stuff during the holidays we're just gonna try to break that down a little bit and talk about a few things but we're gonna skip over book of boba fett this week i don't know if uh, tony or anybody will talk about it but we're gonna i've seen one episode you haven't seen any yet and i'd rather get another episode under my belt and i think you wanted to wait for two to watch until we talk about it so uh, i got a couple of things i'm going to talk about but uh first uh, you got a show or two you you were a show so i watched uh, over the uh, over the holidays like 50 things but today i thought because this one is uh, starting right away we talk about abbott elementary it's on global it's an abc show in the states uh, on global here they released the first episode about three weeks ago, I think. And now the second episode is going to air this, I think nah, this coming week, it's going to air, but it follows a group of teenagers brought together in one of the worst public schools in the country, simply because they love teaching. 
That's what it says about the show. But it's a mockumentary-style half-hour sitcom that wants to be The Office or Parks, but it really isn't. And I was going to rip it apart because the first episode was garbage, uh, full of trying too hard. I've seen it all before, major network watered-down comedy. But the internets, again, tells me that I'm wrong saying that Abbott Elementary is a terrifically smart workplace comedy, a loving, funny homage to the men and women on the front lines of public education in America, and fresh off a pandemic year where teachers are more appreciated than ever, Abbott Elementary brings humor to the plight of the underfunded, overwhelmed school system. So that's not what I saw, so I promise that I'm going to give it one more episode to change my mind. I'll keep you posted, but what I saw uh, was not very good. It was not All right, well, no fair enough. Skip it. And uh, I finished a book uh, because, you know, I, I read sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, so Will, Will Smith put out this book that he wrote all about himself, right? It's 85% boasting like the Will Smith we all know, like full of himself, like ego to the max. Right. About 15% real. So he goes through the whole book talking about how great he is until the final few chapters where he realizes that maybe he should be vulnerable with us for a minute, hone in on some self-realization so we might learn something from his journey. I enjoyed uh, many of the stories. Uh, he talked about Jeff. Uh, in the beginning, way more than I thought he was. So uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff. Uh, so that part was cool. Um, didn't really talk a lot about Jada and how the relationship kind of went south for a while. Didn't really dive into that. Talked a little bit about his dad that I thought was good. But I do like the larger than life character. So the stories were enough for me. I just wish there was something, you know, more real, if that makes any sense. But it, uh, uh, yeah, it was long. It was long. And uh, yeah, check it out. Check Interesting. It out. If you like Will Smith, uh, you get Will Smith. Right. Go. I also uh, received a book for, well, I received a lot of books for Christmas, but I received one in particular that I read quickly because it was a short read over the holidays. It's called Yearbook, and it's uh, by Seth Rogen, who uh, is a comedian that I, you know, I do appreciate. Uh, and it's, I would say it's less of a biography, though there are some biographical stories in it, and more just a series of kind of chapters that are him telling stories in a way that I think is kind of refreshing like I don't necessarily want to know his life story per se uh and while he does dig back and tell some good stories about his youth and how he got into comedy and stuff you know there's other stuff there too including uh he you know he talks about marijuana quite a bit obviously and, and just the stigmas against it stuff yeah well and other drugs Seth Rogen does a lot of drugs I'll say that really? uh, which isn't surprising but just it's, it is quite a part of his life. And then, you know, about meeting people like Tom Cruise or Steven Spielberg, like he tells lots of great stories about that. You know, overall, I'd say it wasn't a masterpiece or anything, but it's such a short read that it's, and it's funny that it's, you know, I think it was worth reading. I do, You read a lot more of that stuff than I do. I more read like music biographies usually, or even like Hollywood, you know, industry biographies mm -hmm. and stuff. Uh, but for this kind of book, I think it was uh, interesting. Enough. I, like, I liked it. I thought it was the entire time. The best part for me was I could hear him in his voice totally reading it to me. Right. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just hanging out with Seth. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Oh, so you did read it then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When it came out. Yeah, I liked it. It was good. Yeah, I would say it's a lot better than the Will Smith book. So right. I would read that one first. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the fact that it doesn't have some self-serving agenda and he's a pretty like self-deprecating guy. And you know what I mean? It's like he doesn't have this 
these airs to put on like someone like Will Smith might have. But uh, uh, but yeah, anyway, it's worth checking out if you like Seth Rogen and, that, and those kinds of books. Uh, I also got a chance to, I haven't finished it yet, but I watched a bunch of episodes of Cobra Kai season four. I'm going to have to say like, it's still entertaining enough. Uh, I don't have too much to say about it really, but like, I think it's, it's definitely like jump the shark. Uh, you know, the first season or two were really fun and exciting because it was really sort of rewriting the mythology of the karate kid, which was this sort of little movie that I liked when I was a child, basically, uh, you know, during the sort of karate uh, phase of the eighties that we all had, but uh, you know, and then just the idea of sort of rewriting that Johnny Lawrence character and, and even questioning was Daniel, the bad guy, not Johnny, you know, uh, and having some fun with, with, you know, that back and forth, I thought was awesome for a couple of seasons they're still doing that stuff and it's fine, but now they're cramming in characters that you got to look up to go like, Oh yeah, I guess that guy was in part three. Uh, and I like they've added so many characters. Like there's a few kids that you'd recognize, but like, there's just so many kids that you don't, you know, it's hard to keep a, a beat on like who's who and who's fighting with who and who's dating who and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, you know, it feels like it's, floundering around a little bit like like I said it's still entertaining enough but I know that like the first few seasons like when I binged those like I watched them all the way through pretty quickly and these ones you know I'd watch a couple and go I think I've seen enough for today like and then I'd come back the next day and watch a couple more so it definitely didn't hold the sway for me that it held in previous seasons I'll, I'll watch the rest of the season and I'll probably keep watching them until they really start sucking but you know I think it's a thing that they've cranked out pretty fast and everybody gets excited when there's a new season but I'm here to say it's it's starting to jump the shark a little bit. So it's okay if it sucks, but I'm going to stop watching when it really starts sucking. Then yeah. I'll start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my uh, that's my pledge. So uh, so that's your your time and my time for today. So we'll throw back to Jody and everybody there. But uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Hank and I out. Could be. Okay. Thanks, fellas. All right, Brennan. You said you wanted to illuminate us on Flash. So why is Flash in your thoughts these days? Well, believe it or not, um, it started by thinking about Ben Affleck. And usually when I think about doing punch radio, my first thought is, oh, <clears throat> I should talk about Ben Affleck. Doesn't usually come on my radar. Um, but I heard that Ben Affleck has officially announced that after the new Flash movie that's coming out, that he's going to retire from the DC universe and he's not going to do any more Batman. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, okay, fair, right? He's already had a good run. He's done a few movies. What I found fascinating is that there's a fan base who's actually quite upset saying the best Batman never got his solo movie. Ben Affleck deserves his solo movie, which is interesting because from what I remember, Ben Affleck was signed to do his own solo movie um, after Justice League and Superman v. Batman and all that. And the response was so lackluster that Ben Affleck changed his mind. I might be simplifying it, but that's what I understand. So he was supposed to actually star in and direct his own Batman movie. And then because of fan reaction, he decided not to. But now that he's not doing that movie, fans are saying, how come he's not getting one? In usual kind of fandom style. So this also piggybacks onto the new Batgirl uh, HBO movie that's coming out because they wanted Ben Affleck to make an appearance in there with the Batman Beyond thing. But now Michael Keaton is like, hey, you know what? It was kind of fun putting on the cowl again. So now I'm going to be the older Batman in the new Batgirl series. So Ben Affleck that was lined up to do a bit more is pulling back, Michael Keaton stepping forward. So now some people are like, how dare Michael Keaton do that? Well, 
Michael Keaton was the first modern Batman. So, so why not? So all this Batman talk got me thinking about the flash and the upcoming movie that will have the flash running as fast as he can, trying to change the world and solve the world's problems and things, which is going to be very much based on the flashpoint graphic novel um, considered as far as I know, one of the greatest flash stories in modern history. So if you think you're going to be a fan of the flash movie, I would definitely recommend going and taking a look at Flashpoint first, uh, just because it's going to be a, a, a cornerstone to that movie. Keep in mind, much like the Marvel movies and the, the TV shows and things, I'm sure there'll be elements of it that you recognize from the specific graphic novels or from the specific title. So it won't be the exact same, but at least I think it'll probably give you a much better context to it. I just, you know, like I said, Ben Affleck, it just surprised me, kind of the crowd reaction coming from it. And, you know, I think it would actually be interesting to see what kind of solo movie he would actually make, considering uh, Argo that he directed one for best picture in whatever year that was. I don't remember. 2015, 14, eight, nine, somewhere in there. So the one man at Academy Award. And yet he won't do his Batman movie. That being said, you know, money changes everything. And maybe if it becomes really, really popular and they, they back the big money truck up, that might change his mind. But who knows? I haven't heard about Christian Bale coming back for Flash yet, so they should throw him in there too. And if they could, they should have the animated Batman somehow appear because really Mask of the Phantasm is still my favorite Batman movie and deserves another watch. So it is interesting. My favorite cart my favorite superhero movies of all time. One is Mask of the Phantasm and two is uh, the Spider-Verse movie, both animated. Maybe just because they remind me more of the comics or just because they were really, really good movies. So there you go. Upcoming Flash, read Flashpoint and, you know, think it over. Meditate on the fact if you think you want Ben Affleck to do his own solo movie. I, I'm fascinated by the possibility of Ben Affleck directing a Batman movie uh, because I love the movie Heat and my two favorite ripoffs of the movie Heat are The Dark Knight and The Town, which Ben Affleck right. also directed. So it, it's like... I mean, that just seems like it is destined to work. And that was, again, the original deal was that he signed on to do the solo project. And like I said, just because of backlash from the other ones, it he I think he just kind of got gun shy and changed his mind. But it'd be interesting, maybe with the new Batman movie coming out and some more some more heat behind it. Huh? A little heat pun there for you that uh, he might change his mind. But right now, Ben Affleck is retiring the cowl. Oh, well, I'm curious about this uh, Flash movie. And I agree with you. Like, I think the best DC movies are usually the animated ones. They oh, just we, do we a, always a, say that. They, they just that. do a better job. And my favorite Flash moments are from Young Justice. Like, mm. I, there's some really great character building in that whole universe that really connects you to the Flash. He's more relatable in that series than in anything that I've ever read or watched since. So... I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm ready for a Flash movie. Sure. They, they have like three or maybe even four generations of Flash in yeah. Young Justice. You have the old original Flash. You have the Silver Age Flash. You have Kid Flash. And then at some point, like an even younger pretender to the Flash throne shows up and you have four Flashes in the same episode. All together. Wow, it's a lot of Flashes. Oh, a lot of Flashes going on. All right. Well, now it, uh, it are you are you through talking Flash? Or are you? It just reminded me talking about all the flashes. They did do that Crisis on Infinite Earths TV series, 
that I didn't actually watch because I think some episodes were on one network and some were on another. I might have them all now, but they did have a whole bunch of flashes. Uh, but I also think they tried to integrate all the other characters too. So if you're interested in the multiverse, make sure you check out Crisis on Infinite Earths. I'm sure it's, it's in trade paperback. You can find it anywhere. Um, if it's not in your collection on your bookshelf right now, you need to have it because it was brilliant at the time. Okay, good plug. All right, well, I'm going to talk about a couple of young adult graphic novels that have just recently come out. The first one I'm going to talk about is called Heartless Prince. And this one is uh, the story and illustrations were done by Angela DeVito. It's written by Lee Dragoon. And it is very much fantasy based. Uh, it's about a kingdom. So there's this character, her name's Ebony. She's an orphaned princess uh, where her kingdom was destroyed by a, a horrible witch. And she's sort of adopted by this other royal family. And uh, she's got a big crush on her like brother isn't right because they're not like related but you know step brother adopted brother whatever um she has the ability to see some of the familiars that are part of that sort of supernatural world and that gives her a skill that helps protect the kingdom but then you know things go sideways and the witches start to get more aggressive and they attack the kingdom and the, the prince that she's in love with is at, in peril. So she has to go and try to rescue him. It's real dark. I was actually surprised at how uh, some of the violence plays out in some of the, the attack scenes because it's like bloody and gross. The, the witch like rips out a heart like and it's pretty graphic. So I would say if you're picking this one up, this is definitely in the like, you know, 11, 12 plus. This is not in the, the six to 10 vein. Kids are starting younger. I, I know they absolutely are. And they, they seem to be less, I don't know, they, they don't mind the violence as much. And maybe it's because like lots of TV and stuff has it and the video games have it. So it's they definitely just, the video games. The video games, those damn video games. Yeah, they don't seem, it doesn't seem to bother them. But anyway, this one was pretty dark. Um, so I would go for a little bit of an older reader on that one. Um, but the other book that I wanted to talk about uh, is The Ghoul Next Door. And this one is written by Cullen Bunn, who is lighting comics on fire the last couple of years, especially with all the horror stuff. He has been doing a lot for DC and Marvel. This one is illustrated by Kat Ferris. And this one is more fun. This is definitely lighter. I would say this is more of the eight to 12 set. We'll really enjoy this one. Basically the story is about this kid, his name's Gray. And he lives in this little town, sort of, you know, New England-y, um, it's called Anders Landing. And he lives close to a graveyard, which he sometimes comes through when he goes to school. And on this particular day, he is going to school because he's built this diorama of the graveyard. It's for like a history project, but he gets freaked out and he drops it and it falls into a grave and he sees a thing and he gets freaked out and he runs. And of course he has nothing to turn in and he's too ashamed to say like why he doesn't have it. And as a result, he starts a friendship with a ghoul who lives in the graveyard. And the ghoul starts leaving him little gifts and they're weird and gross, but they become friends. 
And it just goes to show you that, you know, if you have a kind heart, you can be friends with just about anybody. And of course, drama ensues and he finds himself drawn into this strange subterranean world that ghouls live in and that usually humans are not privy to. And he has to go in there to save his other friend who's been taken by some ghouls. And him and the ghoul, they go, they save the day, blah, blah, blah. I hope they have some sequels because I think that they could have some really good adventures. And, and their time in the ghoulish world is actually really interesting. Um, and the art's really fun. I, I really, really like it. I, I would definitely recommend this book uh, as, as one that you should put on your uh, reading list for kids. The Ghoul Next Door. Heartless Prince? Maybe not so much. Not as good. It's interesting, but uh, yeah, I think it's more of an adult, an adult read, but then it's kind of like, well, why would an adult want to read this? You, you did. I did. Well, because I read all that stuff because I love it. But I, there's lots of people who are into YA fiction that aren't necessarily in their teens. That is true. All right. So those are my picks for this week. Next week, we will have more. And that wraps up our time for another episode of Punch Radio. So thank you for tuning in. And in the meantime, keep your dukes up.
Space and time of play.